High Heels and Politics with Marianne Christie is a production of Ion Community. If you would like to know more about podcasting or if you'd like to create your own, you can contact me, Ryan Kulik. I can be reached at ryan at ioncommunity, that's E-Y-E-O-N-C-O-M-M-U-N-I-T-Y dot com, or you can call me directly at 513-600-8077. Welcome to High Heels in Politics with Mary Ann Christie. This is the podcast where current and future leaders discuss the issues facing us in Southwest Ohio and beyond. Here is Mary Ann Christie. Today's High Heels in Politics will hear from Ohio's $75 million budget legislator on how it will impact your lives and wallets. Our guest today will answer those questions as she battled for months to ensure that your needs would be protected. Our guest, Cindy Abrams, has served Ohio and the city of Harrison in multiple ways. She started out as a police officer in Cincinnati. She moved to Harrison to start married life. She became a successful businesswoman in Papper Chef and served her community on the Harrison City Council. Today, she currently represents the 29th House District that covers major portions of western Hamlin County that includes Coleraine Township, Harrison, and part of the city of Cincinnati. She holds the prestigious position as the Ohio House Assistant Majority Whip. Welcome, Cindy. The Ohio State Legislator just passed the budget and has been signed into law by Governor DeWine. Let's start with the major question with the new budget. Does it raise taxes? Well, thank you, Marianne. First, I'm going to say thank you for having me on your podcast here. And I will say someone called me yesterday to report that they saw the billboard High Heels and Politics advertising campaign. So it's very exciting to see that up and down uh, the highway here in Cincinnati and Hamilton County. So yes, very proud to serve in the leadership team as the assistant majority whip. And we just got done with the budget and uh, my first budget, which was exciting to uh, survive, as they say. To answer your first question, there's so much in the budget. I'm very proud. One of my priorities is keeping people safe, obviously, with my background. That's very important to me. There's millions and millions of dollars towards public safety in this budget. One specific piece that I'd like to mention is a $15 million pilot program. And that's going to basically pay 50%. It's a state and then local government match for law enforcement training. The state mandates like 24 hours of law enforcement training, which typically covers, you know, your fourth, fifth, sixth amendment, subject control, implicit bias, de-escalation. So this is going to help our local governments pay to continue to train our law enforcement every year because training is so important. So many dollars in that budget. Again, grants for small fire departments to also help them train for equipment and all of that. To answer your second question, this budget does not raise taxes. As a matter of fact, very proud that this budget includes a 3% across the board income, personal income tax cut. So we are literally saving Ohioans money. And you know what? When you have more money in your pocket, that's more money to help feed your family and support small business. That tax cut is basically $2 billion over the two years. Like many areas of the state, the Cincinnati area 
has really a pressing need to improve some of our infrastructure, primarily the Western Hills Viaduct, the Brent Spence Bridge, and others. What is in that budget? Well, Marianne, the Brent Spence is definitely a a hot topic, uh, not just today, but over what? How many decades have we been talking about, you know, improving that bridge? It is overdue. It is time. I just said this yesterday when I was on WCPO. It is absolutely time. As a state, you know, our priority, as you can tell here in the transportation budget, we've basically appropriated $4.33 billion in 2022 and $4.4 billion in 2023. And that money is going to be appropriated to many things. And I'll just highlight a couple. Of course, to ODOT, we're going to send $6.5 billion to, for highways, roads, bridge construction, maintenance, and public transportation. We also have $50 million going to the Department of Safety for our state highway patrol. Again, that money is absolutely so important when you talk about improving things. Public safety, roads, whether we realize it or not, you use the roads almost every single day. And public safety, without having them there, you got to keep people safe. It's also been a priority of the DeWine administration to help connect the state's underserved population with broadband internet. Most people think everybody has it. Well, a lot of the areas in Ohio do not have it. Is there money to help connect that last mile? Yes, Marianne, that's one thing that when I took this position as state representative, that's one thing that, you know, being from Hamilton County, you and I both know, you know, we have Wi-Fi almost everywhere we go. You're on your cell phone. Rarely does a call drop in Hamilton County. Every once in a while, there's certain spots that, you know, you have spotty coverage, but never, ever do you have no connectivity. So when I was at the state house and this conversation came up about broadband, I literally was listening to my colleagues thinking, I cannot believe they have they don't have it. What I mean, can you imagine not having the connectivity and all of that? So we this budget does include two hundred and fifty million dollars to help connect that last mile. Well, that's great. Today's society, we you need internet. That's right. And one thing I did realize when I didn't know this before, I went on a ride along with Nolman Farms and I was in the combine and the farmers use technology that has to connect. It has to connect to what, when they're planting and they're watering and they're fertilizing. All of that is, it's technology. I had no idea how high tech these tractors were. It's very, it was very exciting the ride along there with the Nolmans. That's interesting because I'm sure most of us never thought that the farmers you know, need uh, the internet also. In that budget, what about education funding? Because that's always a hot topic in Ohio. That's a hot topic. Again, for decades, we've, uh, they've been, prior to me, they've been talking about that for a long time. So this was a priority, of course, um, for Speaker Cup. He's been working on this with a lot of other people, other reps, the Senate, representatives from you know the school districts and the superintendents and whatnot. And so they've created the Fair School Funding Plan. We're very excited to roll that out. And basically, it's a the formula is a rational 
predictable and sustainable formula. So the school districts know what they're going to be getting and what it can be used for. And it's going to help them budget in the long term. Because you you and I both know that the state does a two-year budget, but the school districts like to forecast out five years. And it's hard to forecast out five years when we're working on a two-year budget. So this will make it much easier. So this projects even beyond the two years, uh, the funding for schools? Well, it won't project out. Our budget's still going to be two years, but at least the school districts are going to know, here's what you're getting, period. Here's the baseline, what you're getting for, you know, in different categories. It'll be like a line item for them. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Was there ever any discussion uh, during the uh, budget proceedings about helping low-income seniors and residents with disabilities to have their home's market value reduced for taxing purposes or increasing the homestead tax exemption. Absolutely. Currently in the works is House Bill 357, which indexes the homestead tax exemption for the rate of inflation. So basically that ensures the rate of exemption keeps up with the rate of inflation. And that's a priority of the Ohio House, not only to, of course, we have to take care of our most vulnerable, right? Our youngest, the youngest people in the population, and of course, our elderly. Yeah, because that is a major question when you they're on reduced income, when they're no longer able to have jobs. You're a former police officer, and today as a state legislator, you have had the opportunity to sponsor numerous pieces of legislation to help the relations between citizens and police. Well, as I mentioned earlier, very proud and very excited that in this budget included the one provision that specifically will help fund law enforcement training for our local agencies, which again is so important. Training is related to everything. It just is not in this budget, but my goal and vision for the future is to have every single police officer in the state of Ohio train the same. So I'll give you an example. Of course, I'm totally biased being from the city of Cincinnati, of course, sir, you know, graduate of their academy. So I'm biased with the city of Cincinnati in the, in the sense, in a good way, in the sense saying that they're doing it right. They have a top-notch training academy. Their officers are trained way over what is the bare minimum uh, required by the state of Ohio to be a police officer, like through the academy. And then there's continuing education, again, is top-notch. So my goal eventually is to have every officer in the state train the same. So what I mean by that, again, the city of Cincinnati has the resources, the academy, the people to train their officers. And maybe a small jurisdiction in my district, they don't have the money or the people or any of like that to keep their officers trained. So the smaller jurisdictions can then send their officers down to the city of Cincinnati and then be trained the same. And why is that important? Because just because, and I'm going to use an example where I live, the city of Harrison, just because the city of Cincinnati is trained one way and Harrison, of course, might be trained a little differently, it doesn't mean that the bad guy is not going to be able to come from the city of Cincinnati and drive through the city of Harrison. So the fact that the officers are trained the same, they would know how to respond the same and different things like that. It would just be much better. So what does that look like? Maybe a regional academy, set up regions in the state, which I think would be very, um, very easy to do. That's a long-term project. The other thing I am also proud about, one of the bills that I'm sponsoring is the Ohio Law and Order Act, which basically says that we support peaceful protesting. 
we support your right to peacefully protest and freedom of speech with the First Amendment. But what we have seen in the past year is devastating destruction and riots across this country and here in our state, in the major cities, Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Columbus. And you know what? I've heard from small business owners who got their windows busted out and their everything they've poured their whole life into burned down and looted, and it's not right. So this bill, House Bill 109, basically says, if you peacefully protest, that's wonderful. We support that. I've defended that my whole life, the right to peacefully protest and say what you want, essentially, with the First Amendment. But when you make the conscious decision to throw a brick at an innocent person standing around or a police officer or through a business and loot that business, we are ramping up the penalties to felony here in the state of Ohio. So that's currently in the Criminal Justice Committee, and it's had three hearings. So when we go back and fall, I'm looking forward to it coming out of committee to the House floor for a vote. Another bill that you're talking about is House Bill 254 to establish Domestic Violence Fatality Review Board. What that is basically is when a domestic violence homicide happens, and this is devastating, I'm not sure if you're aware, since the pandemic in the year 2020, our domestic violence homicides in the state of Ohio are 35%. They're up. It's devastating. Absolutely devastating. I mean, we're not talking about something um, not serious. I mean, this is homicide. Someone has died. So this review board basically is going to allow different entities like the coroner, of course, the prosecutor, local police, sheriff, domestic violence, you know, shelters, domestic violence counselors to come in and have a confidential conversation with all of these agencies. Because what happens is sometimes, let's say, you know, of course, the police and the prosecutor and the coroner are all communicating. But maybe the domestic violence advocates aren't at the table saying, hey, here's how we can help reduce these homicides, because the goal is to prevent them, right? The goal is to save a life. So this will simply allow all of the agencies to come together and under an umbrella of confidentiality and have a conversation about what has happened and how to prevent those deaths. Certainly is needed. There are always not only just the spouses involved in this, but children and extended family members. You are currently the Assistant Majority Whip for the Republican Caucus. What is your job in this role? And then we'd like to hear a little bit about how do you balance your role as a mother and a wife and a state legislator? Well, as the Assistant Majority Whip, I basically, along with my colleague Don Jones, the the Majority Whip, we work together and we basically count votes and we make sure that we have enough votes whenever a piece of legislation comes to the House floor. We track the different bills through committee and I also have a role in mentoring my colleagues and helping them get their bills through committee, answering any questions, especially with the new freshmen. You know, I served in local government, and even that jump from local government, which I'm very grateful to have that experience because I believe that it matters what we do at the state level. As you know, being former mayor of Madeira, sometimes when you don't connect with the locals and say, hey, if we do this, how does it affect you, which I always do with every bill that I sponsor. So again, connecting with my colleagues and kind of mentoring them through how to introduce a bill, how to get it through committee. 
making a law is not an easy process. It is a very long process. It's a lot of hard work, a lot of communication. So my role on leadership, you know, it's not just counting the votes and making sure we have enough and, and, and quite frankly, bringing good legislation to the House floor. Let's go on about being, how do you balance everything? Well, I have always been a list maker. So I have a list every single day and I am uh, keep very organized. I am not saying that sometimes the list, I go a little bit off the list because, you know, life that happens. So what I do is, again, stay very organized with my list every single day. And, you know, as a wife and a mother, I have two teenage boys. So life is very It's always very busy, I think, in every stage of parenthood. But really, it's about staying organized, communicating with my my children and my husband as far as what's on the schedule each day. I've just really been an organized person, quite frankly. So that's how I keep sane. Well, do you think a a young woman who's running for the state legislature and has a couple of children, say, under the teen years, should... She also considered being, because there's always the saying, well, does that woman legislator understand that she has to be up in Columbus a couple days a week? I am a proud graduate of the Joanne Davidson Leadership Institute. And one of my goals every year is to mentor women to take, to step up. And because listen, it is, it is a step up to the plate. When you put your name on the ballot, it's a lot of hard work. It is. And then once you are elected and you win that race, then even harder work starts, right? Doing the job and traveling. Because I'm in Columbus at least three days a week, every single week. And there are some days when I'll travel back and forth if the kids have something, you know, at school or whatnot, boarding event that I do not miss anything unless I can't help it. If we're voting on the House floor, you can't help it. You've got to be there. You know, times have changed. I encourage everyone to step up. If they think that they can absolutely juggle it, which as women, we're always juggling 50 different things. At least I am, whether it be at home with the kids or, you know, with the Ohio House and my duties there. We have help. I have, of course, my husband. If there are younger, I don't have younger children, but let's say someone was thinking about running for this position with younger children. You've got to look at your family dynamic. Do you have family that can help? Do you have a great nanny or a great daycare that you can send your kids to. I mean, it just all depends. And it's up to that each individual person. Women bring something different to the table, in my opinion, whether it be our communication skills or whether it be just life experiences. I truly bring something different to the table in the Ohio House. And I see things a lot differently because of my background being in law enforcement. There's nothing anyone can throw at me that was more challenging than what I dealt with when I was a police officer. Yes, I'm sure you you found a lot of different things. Well, let me just say to is in closing that you live in Harrison with your husband and two sons. You earned your bachelor's degree in criminal justice from Indiana University, and you're the graduate of the Ohio State Public Leadership Academy. So tell us about your journey from Indiana to Cincinnati. I graduated, well, let's go back a little bit. I was born and raised in northwest Indiana, a little town called Crown Point. My dad uh, was a proud union pipe fitter, local 597, and my mom worked up at our local public school. My dad and mom uh, were very strict Catholics. We were raised Catholic, and I moved down here to Cincinnati, and lo and behold, um, to the west side, right, which is also 
when they ask me, hey, what school did you go to? And I said, IU. And they said, no, 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 not what college, what high school. And I, I look at people and I thought, what on earth? Where did I move to? But now I get it. You know, again, I have two boys and a husband who graduated from Elder High School. You know the rest. So I moved here to Cincinnati 25 years ago. I can't believe I'm saying that out loud. 25 years ago, directly from college. I graduated in May of 1996, and I started with the Cincinnati Police Department in the academy, training to be a police officer in July of 1996. I've learned so much through that whole experience. And, you know, a lot of my friends now are retiring, and a lot of my friends are retired and have been retired. And we always touch base and I see them around town and and they say to me, we're so proud of you and what you're doing now. And the beautiful part of it is once you have that training as a police officer, and I always worked the beat. I did a small, small time in the vice unit, which was under undercover drugs and prostitution, but I was always on the beat on patrol. Again, answering the 911 calls, problem solving, de-escalating, because even back then it wasn't really called de-escalating. We just did it. We communicated, and that was the goal for everyone to go home safely. You can never take the police training out of out of me. What I mean by that is you're always looking at things, and you're watching people, and you're reading people, and it's really turned out to have a very great skill in, in Columbus, of course, when I can read people. Nobody can really lie to me, Marianne, which is kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so from there, I worked for the police department went through um, the 2001 riots, of course. we That was something that, again, it broke my heart to see all of the rioting in that last year. And married my husband, started my own home-based business, I left the police department to raise my two boys, and uh, started the home-based business, The Pampered Chef, which, you know, again, worked up to the top 1% of the company earning trips and, and whatnot. That was very, very positive for our family. And then got involved in politics by accident, really. Got involved locally in Harrison, always volunteering at the school and in the local community, and then got involved on planning commission, volunteering for the city of Harrison. And then a seat opened on council. And I came home and I said to my husband, you know what, I'm going to run for this open council seat. And he said, you're not a politician. And I said, I know, that's exactly what this city needs. And so I went around, it was Republican primary, I got my walking list. I knocked on every single door. My boys were riding their bikes and being typical boys, fighting around in the street. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do this because I noticed things in Harrison happening. The one thing that stuck out in my mind back then was Harrison was growing. It still is growing. And they weren't replacing the policemen and the firemen as they retired. So when you have a city that's growing and you're you're attracting more people living there and more businesses, you're going to have higher call volumes for your public safety people. And so I didn't understand that. I said to my husband, I'm going to run because I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And why are we not fully funding and fully at full complement of our police and fire department? Well, now we're, they're still working towards that, but we made massive strides when I got on council and I loved it. I loved serving. To me, you take an oath, just like I took an oath to serve and protect the city of Cincinnati. I take an oath here, um, whether it be the city of Harrison or the Ohio house, Again, I'm still serving the people in public service as a servant leader, and I do believe I'm giving back and making positive changes. Again, not just when I was in the city of Harrison Council, but now in the state of Ohio. It is interesting because I, you know, was an elected official. It really, it's a tremendous experience that nobody, you can't explain it to anyone. 
but suddenly you're you're in charge of the whole city's budget. You have a police department. You have a service department. You're supposedly responsible for the fire and emergency services and road construction. You just go on and on. And now your job is to manage and protect the monies that are involved, because these are tax dollars, Mm -hmm. but you have to spread them over all of these. I thoroughly enjoyed my role as uh, an elected official and as a mayor, and I see that you have the same. And I think we both want to is encourage young women to run for office. How can people contact you? Yes, people can give my office a call at 614-466-9091, or you can email my office at rep29 at ohiohouse.gov. You want to repeat that telephone number again? Yes, people can give my office a call at 614-466-9091, or you can email me at rep29, that's rep29 at ohiohouse.gov. You have to spell out Ohio. Thank you, Cindy, for all this information and sharing your private experiences. Thank you, Marianne. Thank you for having me. I truly appreciate it. And gratitude to our listeners. And we ask for your help with your ideas for future interviews. Contact me at highheelsandpolitics at gmail.com. Again, that's highheelsandpolitics at gmail.com. And thanks to our producer, Ryan Kulik, for making this podcast possible. High Heels and Politics with Marianne Christie is produced and engineered by Ion Community. Music by Sharad Sate. Subscribe and listen wherever you find your podcast.